Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel, before King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Then the priest brought the Ark of the Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands towards heaven, and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you, in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant, David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built? Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day towards this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. And listen in heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your namesake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays towards this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. To whom shall we go, O Lord? You have the words of eternal life. 
You are the Holy One of God. We believe this, O God, and we know it. Thank you for building us as living stones into a temple of your Holy Spirit, built on you, Lord Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Welcome, everyone, to St. Bartholomew's again. If you've been here around, since around June, you've been through our, our momentous series of becoming a people. We've walked from 1 Samuel 3 all the way through 2 Samuel, not missing a single moment of drama in the nation of Israel, I might add. Well, we missed a lot of moments, but we made our way through. And tonight, we have a very fitting culmination a very fitting end to our time together as we discern and we look at the people of Israel's story, particularly at the monarchy, and how God shaped them as a people in order to understand and to discern and to gain insight in how God might be shaping us as a people as we've become St. Bartholomew's. If you're new here tonight, we officially became St. Bartholomew's on July 1st, liturgically and sacramentally, if you will. On September 9th, our bishop will be here to, to bless us and install us and to make us um, our own parish officially. We're going to have a big party. I'll talk about that more later. Don't forget to be here, to bring a friend. It's going to be a wonderful way to say hello to our neighborhood and our neighbors. So we've walked through all this time as we've transitioned from being all Saints East Dallas into St. Bartholomew's or St. Bart's for the hip cool kids. Hashtag St. Bart's Dallas. And we've learned from Israel. We've watched them succeed. We've watched them be in the place of God's presence like Samuel and hear God calling them and, and follow and obey. We've watched David lead with worship lead with orthodoxy, and we've seen the resulting right living. When he lives in this sort of right glory or right worship, all of a sudden our lives are ordered in, in a better way, in right living. But we've also seen adultery. We've seen murder and conspiracy, not just by anybody, but by God's appointed king. And remember, there's always been a king sort of keeping watch over Israel, or rather, if you just want to say the people of God, beginning with Adam. And from that first king, Adam, on down to Noah, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Moses, etc., all the way down to David, all of the human kings did their best. David did it probably the best until this abominable sin. And that Nathan the prophet says, the sword, David, will not depart from your house. The same one that said, a son of your line will reign on your throne forever. That same prophet also said, the sword will not depart from your house. And a couple of weeks ago, Chris showed us how we saw the son of David's line not departing from his house and the sword being in the one, the same, our Lord Jesus Christ. Of Jesus taking the sword, Jesus taking the death, Jesus taking the cost that could not be counted to redeem the entire world from the error of Adam's ways and all the men and women's ways since then, even our ways. And so tonight, David's anointed son, yes, this anointed Messiah King Solomon, who is leading an established Israel. Remember last week, he made a marriage treaty with Egypt. That's a pretty big deal. He's established. Israel has been established as a military might. They're now on the playing field of the geopolitical place. David wanted to build a house for God. 
And God said, no, let your son build that house. And so Solomon, benefiting from the treaties that David had established with the Tyrians and the Sidonians, now the temple is built. It is beautiful. It is glorious. That copy and shadow and type that the tabernacle was that moved throughout with the people of Israel in the wilderness. And that was at Obed-Edom's house and then at Gibeon. And the city of David has now been brought to this temple mount, what we would call today the temple mount. And so the story tonight has the people of Israel establishing a place of God's presence. Or maybe we should say God establishing a place for his presence. We talked about a place of God's presence last week, and we we spoke of it being more a disposition more being an inner humility, or as we, we've quoted Bishop Robert Barron, who said, to be with God, to live in orthodoxy, is to be face-to-face with him. We're reminded of that, of that Latin word, adoratio, to the face, where we're face-to-face, eye-to-eye with him, breathing in the divine life and breathing out God's praise. But we catch Israel in this final culminating night of our series, Becoming a People, in a moment of worship. Now, I want you to notice, what do we always say at the end of the Psalms? Glory to God. Where, let me see, because I always say it in the old way. What do we say, Jay? Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. So that it, just so you know, a little theological, liturgical side note, that's a way that we take a Hebrew psalm and encase it within the context of the Trinity. Glory be to God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and never shall be. Do you, have you ever thought about those words, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever? Amen. We catch Israel. We, we look in on them tonight in one of those moments. This moment of when the ark comes into the temple, when the glory of God fills the temple, when the priests, I don't want to give away too much of my sermon yet because I haven't really started. Just kidding, I've started. When the priests can't even stand to minister because of the kabod, the weight, the glory of God is upon them so powerfully. We catch Israel in the middle of, as it was in the beginning, is now And will be forever. Because you see, before God said, let us make man and woman in our image, was that worship of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before David ever said, oh God, I want to build a house for you because I live in this beautiful house of cedar and where do you live in a tent? Before David ever had that thought, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has been worshipped and was worshipped, was perfectly worshipped unified in himself, completely substantial, had no needs whatsoever with all the company of heaven praising him as it was in the beginning. And so our is now tonight is catching Israel in this moment of worship as they establish a place of God's presence. So tonight, as we think about becoming a people, I want you to think about St. Bartholomew's 
being established as a place of God's presence. Not necessarily a building, because as we'll see, St. Paul had something to say about the church. It's not so much a temple built with really great giant stones that you can go and touch that are still there from Herod's great temple. No, it's a temple of people. Or St. Peter would say this, you come to him, the, the, the capstone. You all are like living stones built together to be a dwelling place of God, to be a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a people that might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So God is establishing in St. Bartholomew's a place of his presence, not necessarily an address, but he's cobbling together with beautiful, wonderful, wonderfully imperfect fully human people, a place of his presence. The first thing we want to notice is they had to move the ark. Remember the ark? Remember that one time when they had a cart and they, they weren't going to carry it? And Uzzah, oh, Uzzah, such a nice guy, really helpful always, always ready to help. Well, one of the oxen stumbles and the cart tips. This is when David's moving it back. Remember that a few weeks ago? You were all here. And the cart, the ark falls and Uzzah's going to uh, put his hand out to steady it. And what happens? Not because God is angry or mean or a jerk, but because God is the Lord God Almighty, the God of hosts. Uzzah falls down dead. So now this same ark, this same place of his presence, where it is said that the Almighty would sit enthroned upon the cherubim. This same, they they remember, remember the poles this time. They got the poles. They moved the ark from the city of David. Now, the, a few months ago, I was in the city of David. And before that, I was at the Western Wall, the, the last place where people can go in and, and claim to pray close to where Solomon's temple was. And that's a whole other story in and of itself. But just to give you an idea, walking with our Israeli tour guide, who was 70 but was built like a 25-year-old, took us about 15 minutes of trudging and snaking and winding through the city of Jerusalem to get from the city of David, Mount Zion, to the Temple Mount. So imagine with me a long procession of priests, new garb, because all, remember, this is all, Israel's got to look good. They're established. Everything's new. It's made. They've got the poles. The ark is there. They're moving through the city of Jerusalem. And they find themselves coming to the ark. And what are coming to the temple? And as the temple enters, excuse me, as the ark enters the temple, what happens? Verse 10, and when the priests came out of the holy place, not the holy place, there's the holy of holies. That's the inner sanctum, the very most holy place where the ark was. And only the high priest would go once a year with a rope tied around him because, and this was on the day of atonement, because if he died, they would pull him out with the rope. He goes in, they bring the, the ark into that inner sanctum. And as they're moving out of the next level, the, the next less holy level, the holy place, what happens? A cloud. It's not a Pete Delcus cloud. It's not a weather cloud. It's a cloud of glory. Think about clouds when you've read them at other times in Scripture. When King Uzziah was king, Isaiah the prophet goes into the temple. And what happens? filled with the glory of God. With what? With a cloud. 
when Jesus ascends into heaven on the Mount of Olives, he's, he's taught his disciples everything written about him in the law, the prophets, the Psalms. He ascends in glory in a cloud. So cloud is a reminder of, of glory. It's almost like this division that we can't see everything that God is and who God is. Remember Mount Sinai when God established the covenant, that same covenant that's inside the ark, the ark of the covenant, a cloud enveloped the mountain. Only Moses was allowed to go up there. And so a cloud fills the place. In verse 11, this is on page three of your bulletin if you want to follow along. So that the priest could not stand a minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The Hebrew word for glory, another word for it is weight. Have you ever been in a position or a place where you just feel pushed down? Maybe it's been in a moment of worship. Maybe on a Sunday night when you just, you just feel like you need to be down on your knees or prostrate on the ground. Glory of the Lord filled the place, so much so that the priests could not stand to minister. Their appointed job, their liturgy at that moment, if you will, the work of, of the people, didn't matter so much because of the overwhelming glory of God had filled the place. As it was in the beginning, is now. And will be forever. This is not new. This is not an innovation. This is not God now evolving into an even more powerful God. As Israel is establishing a place of God's presence, God is giving his blessing. I'm with you, my people. Is beyond our comprehension, is beyond our control. So the ark has been moved from the city of David to the Temple Mount to this new beautiful structure. The priests have been moved so much so that they cannot stand to minister, but they're on their faces. And now Solomon is moved. And in a prayer of dedication, we start to gain some insight into the content and context of the theology of what's happening. Because right now all we have are phenomena. Clouds, poles, the ark, the priests, the temple. Now we're going to get some insight into what is happening. Verse 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven, kind of like this, and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Remember how at the end of David's life, the orthodoxy faded. That right glory, that, that urge in David to sing praise to God, to organize worship before God. In the, the account of First and Second Samuel, it just kind of fell away. But Solomon picked it up and here we see it. Oh God, Lord of heaven and earth, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath. Not only that, God, but you keep covenant. You called us out of Egypt. 
you've spoken to us and made us your people. You have spoken to my father David. You said because of your covenant love, because of your chesed, a son from his line would always sit on the throne. You keep that covenant. You keep that love. Do you see what Solomon's doing? He's not appealing to himself. Oh God, because we're so great. Because we've got a great logo and an awesome website and so many wonderful people. We appeal to you. No. Solomon does the same thing that his father David did when Nathan confronts him with his sin. All David can fall on is the love of God, the chesed of God, the covenant love of God. Of God. And so Solomon renews that. He's moved as the, the glory cloud of God is there. Oh God, who keeps covenant and shows steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you could declare to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand and have fulfilled it to this day. This is not an accident. It's all falling into line. This is part of God's plan for Israel. But it's a bigger plan than Israel, isn't it? We'll come to that in a second. Solomon recognized that God, recognizes that God is establishing a place of his presence. Look at verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? What would later happen to the people of Israel... And it happened before with the ark where the temple became a sort of talisman, a sort of magical you know, thing to ward off the enemy, ward off the enemies of the people of God and the enemies of God. Solomon understands the reality, the theological reality behind it all. Solomon understands the, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. But Will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven in the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Solomon knows that God is establishing a place of his presence uniquely and specifically in Jerusalem, at the temple, at the ark, the center of Israel's worship, the center of Israel's spiritual life. But Solomon knows that that organization does not bind God by anything. St. Paul would say this to the church at Corinth. Don't you know? And by you, he wasn't saying, don't you and you and you individuals know, but don't you all know that you are the temple of God? This thing that was built with great glory and God filled with his glory so much so that the priests could minister. That has become the church, the people of God. Now, I can already see you looking at me with skepticism and disbelief because you know how you are and I know how I am. How could it be that the one who could not be contained by the heavens, much less the highest heavens, how could he dwell not only in me as an individual, but in us as a people? We know it all comes back to the cross. 
We know it all comes back to that moment at Pentecost after Jesus had risen on the third day, after he had ascended 40 days later. On the 50th day, then the Spirit comes in a pivotal moment to give birth to the church as tongues of fire alighted upon each of the apostles of the 11 as they were gathered. And they were speaking in tongues, declaring the glory of God, this pivotal moment where God would create his church. We stand in that same line. We stand as inheritors of it. We stand, as St. Bartholomew's, as a local expression of it, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Our mission flows out of this reality. Our ministry flows out of this reality. And so Solomon understands the theological reality that God cannot be contained in a building. We, you and I, understand the reality that God cannot be contained by this gathering. But we are a special place established by him around his word and around his sacraments, around the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit, there are those three streams are scripture, spirit, and sacraments. We are the place of his presence that God is establishing. It's beautiful. Solomon then begs God, when someone needs you, God, when someone needs to be forgiven, when someone need, needs to intercede and they pray to this place, please hear them. I love that. It gives a point of reference, a sacred space, that the people of Israel can organize themselves around, even though it does not contain God. But probably my favorite part of this whole chopped up passage, I hope you noticed that we, the lectionary chopped up a bunch of verses, is verse 41. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for your namesake, parentheses, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand, of your outstretched arm. Likewise, when a foreigner, guys, girls, moms and dads, kids, grandparents, we are all the foreigner who did not know God, but have been brought into the place of his presence, the people of his presence, the church. And God has put us here in East Dallas to be a people who are here for the foreigner whether the foreigner from, is from Iran, a lovely country, or whether the foreigner is from Dallas County. The foreigner is the one whose relationship with God or his people has been frayed. The foreigner is the one for whom the light of faith has grown cold. The foreigner is the one for whom God is drawing people to himself and building himself a place. Remember that prayer we prayed at the last summer worship night? That prayer from morning prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for your name's sake, when he comes and prays towards this house, 
here in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you. Now here's the kicker. Here's the foundation. Here's the context and the content from which all of the springs from the God who, who sends his son, from the God who sends his spirit, from the God who draws a people to himself for his own possession and his own peculiar people that all the nations of the world might know. Here's the reason why God does this, St. Bartholomew's, O people of Israel, O church of Jesus Christ, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. When St. Peter says he, he made you to be a priestly people, he wasn't saying that so everyone would be a priest and dress in funny but very nice clothing. He was saying that so everyone would be this, in this mediator kind of role so that you, as a collective, as a people together, would represent God to the world. Likewise, when a foreigner. God is establishing a place of his presence in St. Bartholomew's. We saw him do it at the temple. We saw him work with the people of Israel to try to do it. But here he's creating a place of accessibility. But its final purpose is that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. That they may know this house that I have built is called by your name. So if we've learned anything from Samuel and Eli and Hannah and Elkanah, from the little boy David and Samuel the prophet anointing him, from God's promise to David and, and David's dealing with Saul and Saul's terrible fall. If we've learned anything from David's sin and the atrocities that he committed and then to Solomon's rise and the establishment of the people of Israel, I want us to take away that we're not really here just for us. We're here for those who are yet unborn, the psalmist says, whether they're yet unborn in the flesh or yet unborn of the spirit. Archbishop William Temple, who was Archbishop of Canterbury in the early half of the 20th century, said the church is the only organization that exists for those who are not yet part of it. So when we have a party like our St. Bart's Day Fest on September 9th, we want, I want you to have a great time. But we're having a party so that when the foreigner steps in, the stranger, there is emotional room for them to have a place at the table. When we have a pastorate every other week, starting the week of September 17th, yes, I want you to connect more deeply with one another. It's going to happen. It's beautiful. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. But we're also doing it so that, likewise, when the person who's not connected can come in and have life-giving relationships and friendships. So that person can draw closer to our Lord Jesus Christ and his word and his sacraments. We want to organize ourselves logistically, emotionally, spiritually, missiologically in such a way that likewise, the one, when the one who was not of us or of our kind comes in, 
they find a place. When we were at the Western Wall, which is the last existing wall of Herod's great temple, the place where you'll see many people put on a yarmulke and go touch it and pray it, to the, on the southern end of that Western Wall was a beautiful but mangled nest, a swallow's nest. Swallow is kind of an annoying bird. Takes mud, finds your doorway, (laughs) the entry to your house or garage, and it says, this is going to be my house. Even the swallow has found a place where she may lay her young, close to your altars, O God. What if God was drawing those swallows in. Sometimes it's really exciting. It's a big, beautiful bald eagle, and you're like, oh, of course you can be part of our community. But let us make room by God's grace as he establishes a place of his presence. May we be moved the way the ark was moved, the way the priests were moved, the way that Solomon was moved, that likewise when a foreigner comes in our midst, they will be welcome. They can draw close to the Lord and they can begin that journey of becoming fully human, that journey of following Jesus that you and I, and by God's grace, all the ends of the earth would be on. Let us pray. Father, we trust you. We love you. We thank you for your patience with us. Lord, we give you our expectations and our vision here at St. Bartholomew's. And we pray that you, Lord, would bring to bear your vision, your expectations, that we would look not at your light in your kingdom, but we would look along it, seeing things from your perspective, that you would draw our gaze to you. We beg of you by the power of your Holy Spirit, change us, transform us, that we may be the place and the people of your presence in East Dallas that you have called us to be, that you have envisioned us to be through Christ our Lord. Amen.